the noise that your car is making is not the problem. Right? It's a symptom of a problem. Right? But and that's the difference. The better you are at your job, the better you are at diagnosing the actual problem. Hello, and welcome to You Are a Storyteller. In this episode, Brian and Jesse discuss what sets a professional apart from an amateur. While amateurs create trendy work to boost their own egos, professionals make objectively good work that serves something bigger than themselves and can stand the test of time. Okay, on this week's episode, we're going to talk about the difference between an amateur and a professional, right? Now, my knee-jerk reaction to the word amateur is I don't like it because I don't like the you know, well, there's well, the hierarchy people. There's a, yeah, 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 right. Like, I, that's my knee-jerk reaction. But I don't know of a better word than this. Like, you know, we see this all the time. Like, uh, we talked a bunch about, like, shows like Columbo. Like, I'm going through Frasier right now where you go, like, these are professional writers. Like, like you, know, you go, like, this is professional. Then I watch something else. I was like, I don't know what that is, but that's not professional. Mm-hmm. Whatever that thing is is what we're going to talk about. Because, remember, people see through contrast. And so... I'm always hoping that we could talk to you today about kind of what are the markers of a professional and then the opposite of that. The goal of this is for the people at home to be able to hear this episode and go, oh, crap, I do that. Mm -hmm. I need to figure out how to, you know, think about what I do in maybe a little different way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So this week's episode, we're going to talk about the difference between an amateur and a professional. So right out of the gate, Brian, you told a story a long time ago. uh, I think, was it your... Your stepdad was talking about what makes you a professional? Yeah, I was asking what made somebody a professional. I, like, I was a kid, and I was like, what's the difference? Because they're like, like Olympic athletes are amateurs, right? <laughs> right? I'm like, what? I didn't understand it. So I'm like, what's the difference between an amateur and a professional? And his definition was, um, well, you, you know, a professional gets paid for what they do. Um. And that was my definition for a while. But then what I came to realize is that that's not true at all. That um, a person becomes a professional, then they get paid for what they do. Um, I think a lot of times there's a mad thing. People think there's a magic thing when people pay you or you, you get into. Like I talked to a young student who wanted to work at Pixar. And she's like, she knew I had done some work with them. And she's like, oh, I want to work at Pixar. Um, how do I do that? I'm like, well, what, what do you do? What do you want to do? Well, I don't know. Well, they don't hire people just because they want to work at Pixar, right? Like, you have to do something. You have to bring something to the table. Why is it that you would think they would let you in the door because you're a fan and you want to work there and you want your paycheck to say Pixar on top of it or whatever. Like, that's not how it works. Um, um, She didn't, she didn't understand what I was asking. I was like, you have to figure out what you do. Um, And so I think sometimes people think if they just get that paycheck or get in that door or work at the right company or work on the right kind of project that all of a sudden there'll be some pixie dust that makes them a professional. And that just isn't true. Yeah. I mean, that happens a lot. On, on, I, I can't tell you creative teams I've been on where somebody's like, I just want to be a creative director or something like that. And it's like, okay, good. here you go. Like, how's it feel? And you're like, oh, I thought the title would help me. It's like, title doesn't do anything. The title <laughs> just hopefully makes a lot of people go like, they'll listen to you a little bit more. But like, it's the only cure I've ever seen for anxiety when it comes to work is craft. 
Like there's no amount of like your, whatever your paycheck says or any of that stuff is not going to bail you out when you're, when you're really stuck. And so if you were to say like, what's the, let's start at the top. Like what's the big one, what's the big marker, big difference that you've seen between when you think about the folks you work with and your and the work you're doing, right. Where you go like this is professional work versus amateur. What is like, what's one of the big markers? What, what, what's top of mind for you? To honestly be able to assess what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. Um, and to not run from your weaknesses. Hmm. Um, that's an amateur move to run from your weaknesses. I, we've talked about this before, but, um, and I'm sure people have been listening to us for gosh, now a couple of years, I guess, which is kind of crazy yeah, to think I about. Know, but weird. when we were at, when we were at the con that one time and you walked around and you were just, sh- you were saying they stopped at hands they stopped at and you were right. pointing out where they stopped yeah right because they didn't want to confront it but then you've also talked about a guy like glenn keen who's also going to be on the show which is amazing where he was like you were talking about beauty and the beast and how he said he'll only do it if he if he has to fo- if he can focus on beating hands because that's what scared him yeah right? he, he he said he doesn't take a job unless he's a little afraid he can't do it right which is uh, a lot of great actors have said that too jack lemon said that um, that if something scared them, if the part scared them, then they would take it. If they because they were something in there, they were afraid they couldn't do. Um, if if you know you can do it, um, then what happens is I don't think you try as hard. I don't think you reach as far. Um, some of the best performances have been by the second choice actor. And they often win an Oscar, right? Like, we couldn't get so-and-so, so we got so-and-so. Um, and because I remember, for instance, I remember um, when Jack Nicholson was cast as the Joker for the Tim Burton Batman in the 80s. And everybody was like, oh, he's perfect. He's perfect. Jack Nicholson is perfect. And so when I saw it, I was like, well, he's just being Jack Nicholson. Like, he's not bringing it. Like, I know he can bring it. He's got all the skill set to bring it, um, but he didn't bring it. He sort of, uh, I think, um, let his reputation do the work in that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check. He collected the check. And uh, nothing against the, collecting the check. I don't mean that, but I I don't think he would have worked. It, somebody else would have worked harder. Somebody not perfect would have worked harder. Yeah, he didn't take a lot of risks, right? That no. you see in his other pieces when he was earlier, earlier right. pieces, like the Cagney style, big risks. Right. I, I want to go back real quick, Brian, because I want to make sure I don't want to gloss over what you just said. You, you, you said they can't do a self-assessment pretty much. Strength yeah. and weaknesses. Right. Can you give me an example of what you mean by that? Sure. So uh, dialogue's a big one. There are people, writers I've known, who say they're good at dialogue. Um, almost nobody who says that is, but I'll talk about that in a second. But they, they, they say they're good at dialogue and they think they're good at dialogue. And so they make dialogue the centerpiece of what they do. And when you say you don't have a story, they go, I don't want to hear anything about that. Look how witty this banter is between these two people. Right. Yeah. Um, 
they are not doing a self-assessment. They aren't saying, for instance, let's just say you are. Let's say you're a master at dialogue, whatever that means. It means different things to different people. It means something different to me than it does to most people. But let's just say you're a master of dialogue, of saying, having people say clever things or funny things or smart things or poignant things or whatever it is. If you're already good at that, you don't need to work on it. So what's your weakness? Well, I'm not good at scenes. My scenes just seem to lay there. Well, then you should figure that out. That's what a professional does. They figure it out. Um, but hmm. often what... And, and by figure it out, you mean you go, you go head on. You take, you take, you assess the weakness and you go directly at it. Yeah. You don't, you don't try to cover it up. You know, you don't, you just go right. Like the fact that a guy at Glenn Keane's level goes... Well, this scares me. I got to do it. It's, there's somebody going directly. It's yeah. the tr knowing the truth about yourself, being honest with yourself, and then going directly at the problem. I actually read an article. I don't know where it is now. It was on the Internet someplace. Uh, but uh, this is years ago about um, excellent students, like consistently a student people who really excel, and that they would do that, that they would go for the hard thing that they would always see, oh, that's hard for me, and go after it. Um, I, I just think that's, that's how you get good. Um, everything else is uh, a trick that you use because you have particular talent for it or an aptitude for it, or you don't hate it, it's fun for you to do, and so you get better at it just because it's fun for you to do. Um, but like you said about going to the con and seeing where people stop, people often stop when the fun becomes work, right? Mm -hmm. often, so they go, well, it was fun up until I had to learn how to draw horses. And then I, you know, I don't want to draw horses or I don't want to learn perspective. So, cause that's too hard for me. So um, that's where I stop and I'll hide behind it. I'll do all these other things. So I don't have to learn that thing. Um, wow. And if you're good at something, you can hide behind it. You, you'll hide. And, and the funny thing is you're probably going to fool most people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it worked. Right. Right. But part of you knows that you're fooling people when you do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We talk about this all the time. The whole like people mistake style for content all the time. Right. Like it's not hard to fool the people. It's it's but it's like Amadeus. Right. Where he was. Salieri was good enough to actually know the difference between him and Mozart. Right. Right. And it's like if you know. And you're being honest. If you're honest with yourself, you know that you do that thing that you call style to skirt the real issue, which is, you know, you don't feel comfortable with it. That's more of an, that's an amateur thing. Right. Right. I, I mean, I remember you were said one time, I don't remember if it was at the con or something. You said, you said people call it, say what they do is they call it style all the time. But I think you said something like, but it's not style because they can't repeat it or something. Oh, like that. right. It's I used to, I, I heard this a couple of times. Uh, when I was a lot younger going to cons and um, people would show their portfolios to the pros and the pros would start telling you what you couldn't do, right? So the pros would go, well, this arm is too long and this is too short. You need to go do some life drawing. They, that's often the prescription. Do some life drawing. Go out and draw from life. you got to do that. Um, and they'd say your anatomy is off. And younger people uh, seem to be obsessed with style 
And so that because the surface kind of like what I was when I was like just looking at the surface of things. Right. Um, they just see the surface. So they, they'll say, well, that's my style about their anatomy or whatever. And the, these professionals would always say, well, it isn't your style because it's inconsistent. So over here, you have a leg that's too short. And over here, you have a leg that's too long. And over here, you have a, right? It's not, it isn't your style. But you're pretending it is because you can't do these other things. You're trying to cover up what style. Um, or use it as an excuse to not know what you're doing. You know, and um, the people who excel, I mean, really excel. I don't mean flash in the pan, um, popularity but i mean excel um over time and get this sort of um admiration of their peers which is not why you should do it by the way but um those people have the chops like those people have solid foundation and are always pushing themselves and getting better um and and people can feel it they feel the difference they know the difference especially over time the stuff that doesn't work really fades over time because um if you're all style well style is a moving target what was what looked hip in the 80s doesn't look hip now and what looked hip in the 70s doesn't look hip now right so um it's a it's a moving target you can never hit that right so you might hit it for that moment and if that's all you do as soon as the time passes and there's a new style and a hip there's always somebody hipper and younger uh, doing the new thing, the yeah. next new thing, um, you know, and that's a hard thing to keep up with. Uh, as you get older, you know, it's harder to keep up with that because you're not getting the same inputs as somebody younger, right? Somebody younger is watching this cartoon and reading these things and doing that stuff. They're getting all their input is coming from a different place. And so uh, you're just imitating hip. It's not coming from you. Right. So. Um, so, yeah, I, I. I find that when people like I, I think I've talked about him before, but John Basema was a you know comic book artist who I really like. And um, he was popular for a long time, even though styles changed um, mm. because he could really draw. He could really draw. And so because he could really draw and because he knew how to tell the story with pictures and all those things, um, even though styles changed and his stuff looked probably by the end of his career, um, looked a little old fashioned or whatever, um, it still worked. Um, and it didn't bother readers. And I think it's because he had a solid foundation. And I think if you have that, you know, you can have the long career that Hitchcock had, that Billy Wilder had, you know, um, because you you've got the chops where other people come and go yeah so we start number one uh to make the leap from amateur professional one of the things you have to be able to be honest with yourself figure out where where the shortcomings are and then go right at it yeah right i also thought it was interesting that you said the answer is almost always like you know go out in the real world and draw <laughs> like yeah. right it, it's just funny of like of course that's the answer is like look at nature and how things work. If you can figure out how to do that, it'll all make sense. It's like, uh-huh. That's the same thing we say about stories. Like, yeah. well, how do they happen in nature? Right. And you're like, Oh, it happens like that. Well, what does that tell you? Does that tell you anything about how to do it? Well, right. 
Right. I just actually heard a writer talking about three-act structure and saying that it was ridiculous and that he didn't believe it. Um, and this is a writer of some note. Um, but the thing is, it's like what people don't understand is, again, like we talked about it, but it is how people talk and give information. And so it isn't a construct of literature or screenwriting or any of that stuff. It is the way we talk. And so if you don't understand that we're basing all of it on nature, then what you're left with is style. What you're left with is on the surface or this choice or that choice because you think it's cooler or whatever. Um, but there's something very natural um, at work. And if you embrace that, then I think um, your work is better. And here's the funny thing. The way you just did that was in three acts. Of course it was. You just said, you just said, there was this writer I heard of once upon a time, there was this writer I heard of that said that three acts is, is BS. It doesn't actually work. But what he doesn't understand that of course it works. And then you went into your argument phase. Now you're in your second act where you're like, for instance, they'll do this and this and this. And at the end you brought it back and it was yeah. like, Oh, great. You want to understand three act structure? There you go. It's right there on display. Right. People do it all the time. In fact, there's another, uh, uh, and I, and I can, I can mention this guy. I don't, I don't know him, but, um, and he's a really good storyteller is Ira Glass. And I don't know if we talked about Ira Glass before, but he's, Ira Glass is a really good storyteller. He's the, this American life guy. And, and, uh, when this American life first showed up on the radio, cause it was a radio show, it was really pre podcast. I was, uh, obsessed with it. Listened to it all the time. So a big fan of, of, I remember when they were advertising it and saying, this new thing is coming on. And, and uh, now it's an institution and started the whole, I think, podcast thing. So this is not anything against Ira Glass, but there's a thing of him on the Internet where he's talking about um, structure. He's talking about he says he says, uh, you know, stories don't work the way you've heard about. Like, not like what you heard in school. I'm paraphrasing, but he goes, you know, it's not, you start with a thesis statement and then you prove it. And then he goes, it's not like that. And then he said, well, like he goes, the power of a story is so important. You could just start with, with that. You could just start with that. He goes, so, uh, so he, he tells us, he goes, a, a, a man wakes up, um, not because he heard a noise, but it's quiet, almost too quiet. And he goes, so he creeps out into the hall and well, and he starts saying, see, that's already interesting, right? I didn't start with that three act, you know, that thesis statement and then move on. I'm like, but he totally did, right? He starts by saying, oh, it's not like what you heard in school. It's not, you make a thesis statement. That's not how it works. It works like this. So what did he do? His thesis statement was, you don't need a thesis statement. Yeah, yeah. Then he writes, like, it's so natural that a storyteller that good doesn't even know. He can't even explain himself without using that structure. Stephen King in his book on writing does the same exact thing. Yeah. Where he's like, here's, it doesn't work that way. Here's how, here's how it works. And I'm like, proposed argument, conclusion. Right. It would be nonsensical if you didn't do it. You'd right. like, Does that make sense to anybody else? <laughs> right. You have to have a first act. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. You don't have context. Because, it, because if Ira was sitting there on an interview and he just jumped into, a man wakes up. It's quiet. A little too quiet. He creeps right. down the hall. And somebody's like, what the hell's going on, Ira? Like, are you telling a story? What, what, 
Here's the other thing, though. Even if he starts that way, even the story he told, told you it's too quiet. Right? Oh, too quiet. What does that mean? So you already know there's going to be an answer to that. Why was it too quiet? Now you know you're listening because it's too quiet. He set that up. So even if he did start there, he couldn't help himself. Yeah. 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 So it's just, it's just funny that, that like nature, it's, you know, we talked about like, like even with architecture, like, you know, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright and folks like that, that would just, he would go walk the property and he would sit in the nature, like around where he was going to build something and go like, Oh, I need the, the dirt red. So the roof will be red. And like, he, he was taking it from the thing. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, his work obviously <laughs> lasts, but okay. So the first one is it's that assessment piece, right? Mm-hmm. The honest assessment piece and the best people, um, the people that are really top of their game, the, the Patty Chavskis and different folks like that, um, they actually do that. They'll assess their work and go like, boy, I'm, I'm scared of hands and feet, so I'm going to go right at it. Mm-hmm. What's, what's, the next, what's the next one down the list where you go like, boy, if, this is, if you're not doing this, you really got to think about what's stopping you from doing that? Well, this is another assessment thing, and this is assessing your tastes. So sometimes what happens is we're influenced by something when we're young. And there's nothing wrong with that. That gets the ball rolling. That's great. But what I found is, um, and, I, and I, there's a particular movie, and I won't get into it. I know people are going to ask me and bug me about it. It, doesn't, it really doesn't matter what the movie is. But there's a particular movie that people who grew up on this movie think is amazing and you cannot convince them otherwise and people who were older when the movie came out uh like as a teenager when the movie came out was like no we didn't like it because it's not good and what i found is that people don't readjust they don't go they go it's good because i like it they don't understand good as a thing all by itself your liking it doesn't make it good. It makes it fun for you and interesting for you, but quality is a thing you can measure. So mm. that, that people don't understand. And so what happens is when they start to make exceptions, carve away exceptions, but I like this, but I like that, but I like this. It, it happens with me a lot where um, I will give somebody a cogent argument about, so I go, well, this is why this doesn't work. It's confusing because of this. I didn't know what was happening because of that. You know, they set this up, but they didn't pay it off. They will often, they will often agree to that stuff, but go, yeah, but I like it. Well, okay, and that's fine, but don't call yourself a professional if you can't evaluate it honestly. And if you're mm-hmm. going to pretend as if your taste is a marker of what quality actually is, um, because it isn't. Um, it's a different thing. It's okay to have your taste. It's okay to have the things you respond to. Um, it's not fair to say, you can't like that. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, if you can't say, you know why I like that? I saw it when I was six years old. But if you're not willing to go, you can keep your six-year-old self liking that, but you go, as a, an adult and as a person who is a craftsperson, I see what they didn't do well. I see that they weren't doing this well or that well or that well, but I, I found that people get so attached to that stuff. They, they can't do it. They can't part with that stuff. It's uh, too emotional. 
Um, mm. You know, one of the things that I used to do uh, when I taught more was, you know, have people write down a list. I don't know if I ever did this with any class that you came, you were in, but I had people I write down a list. So. I had people write down a list of their favorite stories, favorite movies or books or whatever. And I don't look at the list because I, I don't want to evaluate it. And I don't want them to think that I'm evaluating their tastes or whatever. So they write the list and I ask them how the list makes them feel. And uh, a lot of things, it makes me feel, you know, wonder, or it makes me feel this, or it makes me, you know, I have all these strong emotions about it. Um, and then what I do is I have them rip the list up. And then I ask them how that makes them feel. And it doesn't make you feel very good to rip that list up. But uh, what, I, what I'm trying to do is, is I'm trying to say, you're gonna learn something here. And those things may challenge the things you already think are great. And if you're not willing to let those things go, that will always be a blind spot for you. It will always be there as a blind spot because you'll carve out an exception for this, an exception for that, an exception for that. And all those exceptions will chip away at your ability to perform um, at your optimum pro level because you're yep. making ex exceptions. Yeah, you keep trying to find a way to get people to believe that, you know, fill in the blank movie. I was about to say when I was like, oh, I'll start a bunch of shit, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is a masterpiece. It's, and that's a really tough one because that emotional connection is hard, right? Yeah. But it seems like the big lesson there is like, hey, what got you here isn't going to get you there. Right. Right. Like, like I get it. You, maybe, I mean, I, I, I've talked about this on the show before. This is an easy one because most people haven't seen this and they won't lose their mind. But it's like, I remember I saw Flight of the Navigator in the theater and I thought it was incredible. Like, I distinctly remember, I don't know, I was six or being like, that was the best movie I've ever seen in my whole life. Yeah. And then my girlfriend in college, who's my wife now, was like, hey, I, it came out on DVD and you've talked about it before. I got it and I put it in, I was like, hell yeah. And I'm watching it, I was like, oh shit. And it sucks because I'm like, this is not, you know, the ferns, it looks like, it, it, it's just... The whole thing, you're just like, oh, it's like the Pee Wee Herman boy, all this stuff. And I'm just like, man, damn, that sucks. Right? And yeah. it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that. Like, I, you know, I was going through a huge box of old DVDs and I was looking at all these, like, movies I had. And I'm like, dude, I don't, 90% of this box of stuff that I used to watch all the time isn't interesting to me anymore. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's really, it's really hard to do because you're like, what do you do? Especially if you have repped the person where you're like, fill in the blank, filmmaker is the best. Right. And then you have to show up and tell your friends, it's like, I thought you were a huge fan of them. It's like, you, uh, yeah, I was. But then I really started, I realized that Tim Burton's just an amazing art director. And then people like will freak out and you'd be like, I mean, it, you know, I, I love his art, but I, right. that doesn't mean, and, 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 and they're like, you go like, dude, that's a hard process to go through. Like I told you, I have, I have original Tim Burton stuff in here. It, and I'm like, I, I still like the drawings. Right. It's just, it doesn't hold that like canon idea anymore. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's difficult. But both of the things you brought up are assessments. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. being, it's funny because you're, you're, you're talking about like, okay, a lot of this is honesty. Yep. Like, can you look at something subjectively? Can you look at a drawing, yours or otherwise, and say, you, you said something a second ago. You said that quality is a thing you can measure. Yeah. Can you talk that line right there? You, you're professionals 
know that quality is a thing you can measure. Is that is what I'm assuming you were you were yeah you were going with that? Yeah. That there is a standard, right? Yeah. Well, it can be. So uh, I, it's in Invisible Ink in the in the in the very beginning of it, but. You know, I, I was reading a book about uh, called uh, The Crass, Craftsmanship of the One-Act Play, which is a really good book, which I just happened to find in a used bookstore randomly. It's written by this guy, Percival Wilde, 1923. Oh, wow. I didn't know. Yeah, I got it. And, um, and there's some cool stuff in there. And he just somewhere in the book... Uh, said, um, and I, don't, I think it's his quote. I'm pretty sure. I don't think he was quoting anybody else. I think it was his quote. And it was that within every art is concealed a still greater art. And I think that a professional is looking at what's inside the art. It's sort of like what I was saying about Jaws, right? Oh, wait, that's not about a shark. Because I was on my journey to looking inside to the art inside the art. Yeah. Right? Yep, it's beyond the surface. Yeah. Right? So what's underneath? And so the ability to see what's underneath that makes the thing work, that is driving the mechanism, that becomes its own thing that you can measure. You go, well, the reason that this isn't working on the, just like being a mechanic or something, right? It's... The, the noise that your car is making is not the problem, right? It's a symptom of a problem, right? But and that's the difference. The, the best, the better you are at your job, the better you are at diagnosing the actual problem. Yeah. The majority of problems that I see, at least on the agency side, is people are trying to solve the problem that's not actually the problem. Yep. So you're like, oh, you think it's the tire that's making that squeaky noise. And you're like, that's not even coming from the tire. That's coming from the drivetrain or something, whatever. Right. And, and you spend all this time trying to fix a problem that you don't even have identified the actual problem yet. But boy, you sit down with a real craftsperson and they'll be, you'll be in the car for two minutes and somebody will be like, oh, I know what it is. It's your fuel pump. Yep. And you're like, how did you do that? It's almost like supernatural. Yeah. Right. I have my, uh, there's a bunch of folks in my family that are mechanics, including my dad. We're like, the people at the top of the game would just be like, you can even just describe the problem. And they'll be like, it's this. And you're like, how'd they do that? Right. The diagnosis piece is a marker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it's so well that you can say, and I've been to movies with you where you'll be like, all right, do you notice this, this, and this? That's why it didn't work. Or, or you'd say like, I know how to fix that. And I'd be like, how'd you fix it? And you'd be like, dude, you got to do move this, this, and this. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, that totally makes sense. And it was like, how are you just pulling that out of your head? And you're like, same way a, me a master mechanic can go, here's the problem. It's the ball variance. You might think it's this, but that's not actually what's going on. Yeah. Right. Billy Wilder. If you have a problem in the third act, it's actually in the first act. Right. Right. Yeah. Y yeah. That's a huge part of it. Being able to, being able to see underneath, being able to see the mechanism and the mechanisms are what you're, the mechanisms are really what you're evaluating. So, so, and that's what you can measure, right? So you can say, it's funny, talking about structure, um, a joke is such a good example of structure, a story joke. P 
people think that it's the punchline that is the funny part of the joke. But that punchline will not land if the first act, everything you needed to establish to make that work was not set up correctly. Right? That It doesn't matter. That punchline all by itself doesn't mean anything. Right? But I thought you wanted eggs. What? I, what? <laughs> right? You know? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That doesn't mean anything. It's all about how it was set up. Right? So, so what somebody who knows what they're doing knows is they go, oh, that? No, the punchline, whatever, that's fine. We just need to know X, Y, and Z up front. And then this lands. Yeah. Well, that's what you think. It's just not a funny joke. It's like, no, it'll work. You just need to fix this part. Um, and that's what pros can do. Um, the funny thing is there's no other, there's no, where else could you not see that's true? What I mean by that is like, okay, you're talking to a master chef and you're like, the steak's amazing. And he's like, well, here's what you got to do. You got to be able to, it has to rest for 45 minutes, become room temperature. Then you need to do this, this, and this. And if you want to get it that moist or what, and then you go like, I don't think you need to do that. And he's like, what do you mean? <laughs> like that, the, the, it has to be room temperature because when you're cooking it, as far as from like, uh, just even from like a, a, bio, a, a chemical, right. You know, it's like, it, it, you go like, if you're like, well, I just disagree. I don't think you have to do that. He's like, I, every other place, <laughs> right. like, if you're with a chef and they take a bite of something, like we have a friend of ours who's like one of the best chefs in Seattle. If, if, if I'm sitting next to him and I'm like, this is really good, I'll be like, why is this good? And he'll be like, here's why it's good. See how they did this, this, and this. They, they can explain it. Right. And then slice it. Whereas I just be like, I thought it was a good burger. But he's like, here's why it's a good burger. They didn't just do this. See how they took the time to do these things? Right. You could go in the kitchen and recreate what the other people just did. Sure. Just having taste it. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother level than just like, I was making burgers. This one turned out good. It certainly doesn't turn out that good. That's luck. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the other thing. That's a good point. Pros don't rely on luck. Right. Or they know how to harness luck. Meaning they create the atmosphere that creates luck. Right. So they go, um, they, they, uh, they might have things on their, like Milk Call, who some people think was the best animator who yeah. ever lived, right? Milk Call didn't have anything in his office, nothing, where he worked, except a Picasso on the wall, right? That Picasso was there to, to, for him to have a target to aim at, right? And it did something for him and inspired Hold him. Hold on a to- second. I didn't know that. You're saying Milk Call had just a Picasso on his wall, so Picasso that he was Prince, always yeah. had stuff. That's crazy. He didn't have anything I else. I heard that story. Oh yeah, he wouldn't listen to music when he worked. He wouldn't. He goes, I can only. He just was like, "That's the North Star." Yeah, going until I get there. That's amazing. Yeah, talk about you become like what you look at. Yeah, right. If you surround yourself with really amazing people, you're going to be amazing. If you surround yourself with dopes, like like, think about the fact that he did that. He had the discipline to look at Picasso all day right and because if you here's the beautiful thing about that guy look at what he did in the jungle book or something it has nothing to do with picasso right but he's just like that's this that's where i'm going Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna do it with a snake or a tiger or whatever yeah that's amazing i didn't know he was that focused i didn't know he had like you know 
It'd be like having a photo of Muhammad Ali or some badass. Like it's like the fact that was in his thing. Yeah. And that's where he was going. He wasn't trying to be good enough to sell prints or be good enough to get a booth at the con. He's going, he's going to Picasso. Right. And it's like, well, that's why he ended up being, that's really good. I didn't know that. Yeah. But what that, what that means is he knows what inspires him. Mm -hmm. He knew what was going to push him. Like that's, you know, as far as he probably never reached that horizon line, you know, it keeps moving. Right. But he was moving somewhere and he was comparing himself to the best. That's another thing yeah. good people do. Good people compare themselves to the best. So um, I, I, uh, somebody wrote an article about this, uh, about screenwriting. And they were saying, you know, people will often see a movie and they go, I can write a movie that good. Well, that's the wrong attitude. I can write a movie that good. Well, it was a bad movie. That's why you think that, right? Why aren't you comparing yourself to the best stuff? Why aren't you, you know, I mean, when I'm working, whether I hit the target or not is not important in a way. I'm looking at the best stuff. What is the best stuff? Because that's where I am aiming. That's where I'm trying to hit. Um, I don't, a lot of times people see the best work and it intimidates them and it shows them what they aren't. Like, I can't do that. I'm not, mm. so I'm not no call. I can never do that. And there are other people, and I don't know if it's chemical. I don't know if it's learned. I don't know what it is. Brain chemistry, I have no idea. There are other people, and I happen to be one of these people who go, oh, that's possible. When I see good work, I just say, that's possible. Um, and some people are discouraged and others are encouraged. And I would <laughs> encourage people to be encouraged. When yeah, there was a time when Billy Wilder wasn't Billy Wilder. He was just Billy. Oh, I'm sorry? There was a time when Billy Wilder wasn't Billy Wilder. He was just Billy. Yeah. Yeah. Without all the bullshit. Marcus Aurelius would do this where he would demystify things where he'd be like, you know, that whatever brazened, you know, calf, you know, veal or whatever. He's like, it's just dead meat. Or he'd be like that fancy one wine. He's like, it's just fermented grapes. It's like when you can do that where you you don't get caught up in all the bullshit and you go like, well, that's possible then. If you if, if you can watch that, and so a human being did that. It's like, right. okay, well, what they do in order to be able to do that? Probably a ton of work to get right. that good, right? But I, I love that your framework is if you see something that, like Picasso, you go like, okay, well, at least I know it's possible. I'm not. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's, that should encourage you. And it doesn't matter whether you fall short of it or not. That's not important. If you're reaching, you will always be better than you would otherwise be. Right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I've probably told this story before, but um, with August Wilson, he would, we, we had a conversation once about, um, I was writing something and I was talking about how good I wanted it to be. And he was talking about how, when he was trying to break in as a playwright, he was trying to get into a program. He, um, he was writing and working on some, and somebody said, what are you working on? And he told them I'm writing this play. Uh, I'm trying to make it good enough to get into this uh, program. He was trying to get into. And they said, well, why aren't you trying to write the best play ever written? Why are you just trying to make good enough to get into the program? And he was like, Oh yeah. Why am I not doing that? And so then he said that that was his shift to try to write the best play ever written. And that was his first play on Broadway, which is uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, right? Mm. 
Um, so it was like, it was just the reaching for it. Like, oh, I'll write the best play ever written. Like, yeah. that sounds crazy. And most people wouldn't do it. Most people would be like, well, I'm not, sh- clearly, I'm not going to do that. Right. Yeah. Well, then you've decided. It's like uh, another thing I think I've talked mm-hmm. about before is when somebody in my class, I was talking about how you can, it's not luck because you can repeat it. You could be Billy Wilder and you could repeat it and you can have, you know, hit after hit, classic after classic, like he did. And this person scoffed and they said, well, that's Billy Wilder. And I'm like, oh, they just decided they can never do that. That's what they just decided. They decided Billy Wilder was some special being from another planet who had some abilities they don't have. Um, And that's not the way professionals think. I don't think. You just got a target. Yeah. Right. I mean, like I, this is my office, right? I got all these people on my wall. It's like Dorothy Booth and all these, you know, Patty Chayefsky and, you know, Kurosawa and stuff because it's like, it's that, it's that Picasso thing of like, Oh, Dorothy Booth. I want her in my head cut for emotion. I want, you know, it's like, it's all those things where I just love that Picasso thing. It's just so great. I I love that. He's just going for it, Mm -hmm. you know, in his way. And boy, what a great example of shoot for him. Go right at him. Yeah. You know, if it's Picasso, don't hide it in your drawer, put it right there. Yeah. So everybody walks by. It's like, you know, milk, because there was a time when he would just milk. Right. You know, Milton, you know, his Picasso thing or it's like, and he kept going. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And it is like, I mean, his work, it's one of those things like we'll share those animations and stuff. Back and forth. You watch it and you're like, I don't know what he's like magic. I mean, oh. he could bring like, it's yeah. like, it's unbelievable. Your share con animation. And his Pinocchio animation is to me, it blows me away. His Pinocchio stuff. Um, you know, he did Pinocchio sort of skipping to school and so much joy in that. It looks so effortless. It's a, I, it's crazy. I marvel at it when I see it. It's so crazy. I can't believe a human being drew that. Like, um, there's just a bounce that he has and a life that he has. And a, I, I don't know how he did that. It's amazing. Wow. But he was also really hard on people, right? Like, he was again, not going a, back to quality, quality yeah. is the thing you can measure. Right. Yeah. He wasn't the easiest guy to work with. Right. Yeah. He, um, no, he was not <laughs> from all indications are that he was not an easy guy to work with, but he, he held people to the standards he held himself to. Yeah. Um, so we go, so you go, okay. Number one, you have to be honest with yourself and go directly at the things that you know, aren't there all the way. Right. Um, what got you here isn't going to get you there. You're going to have to let go of some stuff that is canon that maybe shouldn't be mm-hmm. right. Um, and then that last piece you're talking about, we're like, we're really like quality is a thing you can measure, like stop pretending everything is subjective, right? Like there's a difference, you know, and you can feel the difference when you see something and it's so well done. Like I told you about that freight we were talking about, it. I think it was uh, like, it's, we're talking like this. So it's always hard for me to figure out. What I, know. We're about. <laughs> I know. But I was just talking about that episode of Frasier where it's a Christmas present uh-huh. he gets. And it was just like, I'm watching it, It's like, Dune, dude, dude, and I think he's got any slam dunks at the end. I was like, God, these guys are good. Like that just worked. There was everything about that worked. I mean, I was talking yeah. about Columbo a couple weeks ago too. It's like, he's like, it just works. I don't know. You can't take one thing away. It's right. like Jenga, right? You can't, you can't take a scene or a character or a word out of it and have it work. Yeah. You also don't need another character or another scene or another word. That kind of precision 
I mean, I just marvel at it now. And, and you know, like, and it's, oh, that's it's the crazy. art beneath it's the like, art, right? That's the art inside the art, right? That's what you're yeah. talking about, right? Um, you're, you're not just talking about the joke that lands or whatever, you know, um, if the, if the joke that lands also has everything to do with the story and everything to do with the armature and everything that the, the whole story has been leading to, that's a different kind of joke. Right. Um, and you can measure that. You can go, Oh, that had everything to do with this piece. That's not just somebody saying a funny thing or, um, if you structured everything correctly, you can make the smallest thing sad or funny or meaningful or whatever. Yeah. Set everything up correctly. It doesn't really matter what it's the shoes and Jojo rabbit. It seems like an insignificant thing, but man, it's just like, finally, God, I remember watching that. I was texting you. I was watching it. I think you talked about the show. I was like, have you seen what the hell is going on? (laughs) It's it's just like, it's so nice to watch somebody that's that good at their job. Yeah. You know, and it's, and for me, it's emotional. Now. Right. Yeah, it is. Well, uh, like I'm watching that Frazier and he slam dunks it with the with the president at the end. If you've seen the episode, if you haven't seen the episode, it's the one where Frazier is getting a gift for his son who's coming into town. And, it, and it's between a whole thing is between him and his dad. And like he opens up the president. I, I knew it was going to happen. But man, when it hit, I was like, it, it's a, it's like watching, I don't know, Mozart. Or, it's like watching somebody like ballet or something where you go, like, yeah. oh, my God, that's beautiful. That yeah. you, it just works all the way around and they're out at the perfect time and they didn't need this, this, and this. And it's just like, it's wonderful, man. It really is like magic. It's like when you watch, when you watch Pinocchio skipping, I don't know what you call that other than magic, like craft. Yeah. Your craft is magic. Yeah. That's what it, it transcends. And you go, what in the hell was that? Yeah. I, the first time I saw Van Gogh, I didn't grow up going to, I grew up mostly at an army base. Like I, I'd never been in army museums and stuff. And I remember it was at like, I think it was at the Guggenheim, you, you know, you're coming around the corner and it was like, yeah, I heard of Van Gogh, whatever. I come around the corner and I saw it and I just stood there and I was like, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. It was like, it, it was, it was like, I don't know what that is, but I have to, what is that? <laughs> right. right? It, it's like when someone's playing at that level, I, I got to see LeBron James one year we were in Boston shooting that one thing. And so all of us accrue into the playoffs and it was the it was the game he broke the record. I was just watching LeBron play was like it was like no one it, he was by himself. Mm-hmm. He, he he broke the record for the most points in postseason. So this is a couple of years ago. And just watching him play, I was like, I'm so glad I got to see King James play. Like to see somebody that good at their job, mm-hmm. it's wonderful, man. It feels effortless. It feels like magic. Yeah. And it's a gift to give to the audience. It, it was is. a gift that everybody in that stadium got to see it. It's a gift that, you know, if you watch Pinocchio now, like the cool thing about the Pinocchio example too, is that like everybody of every age can enjoy it at different levels. You're right. noticing the craft stuff, but even if I watch it with Scout who's six, you know, she just likes it. Right. The cool thing is it works at every possible level. You can go yeah. deeper with that story. You can like, it's magic, man. It's the closest thing to magic I've ever seen. Well, you know, I, I used to, uh, I knew a guy who worked, um, uh, he was a comic book illustrator and um, he, uh, I, I would critique his work. I, he, like he took me to the studio or it was kind of a big studio and he took me there and I was like, well, 
you know, showing me some pages and I'm like, well, this doesn't make sense. This, I don't understand how to, which panel comes next. And I didn't under, there were things I didn't understand about the art he was doing. And his response to me was, oh, kids don't care. Hmm. Which was not the response that Milk Call ha- would have had. Right? So that's why you know Milk Call's name, and you won't ever know this person's name. Um, because, or, you know, Glenn King doesn't think that. Glenn King didn't sit there drawing a little mermaid going, well, this is just for kids. You know? Hmm. I don't have to, I can phone it in a little bit because it's for kids. Professionals don't think like that. Okay, so let's do three at least, because just for the sake of time. First one, it's, it's you know, uh, um, that honest assessment of where you're at and go directly at it. Go directly at the problems you're seeing, and you'll thank yourself for that later. Yep. Like, stop bullshitting yourself. Mm-hmm. The hands are in the pocket because you can't draw hands, right? Right. Uh, you know, it's like the, the, the acting's flat because you don't know how to direct actors. That's okay. You right. can learn how to do that. Right. You just, you know, it's just hard, and that's all right. But you don't yeah. even have a chance to learn it if you're bullshitting yourself all day long, <laughs> right. right? What got you here isn't going to get you there. And that, that last one, let's go deeper on that last one, which is, which is really understanding the audience. Like, it, like the fact that you're saying Milt would care, right? But this other right. person wouldn't care, right? Right? Why do you think Milt would care about the fact that it was for kids? Like the kids would know, or the kids wouldn't notice. Well, because you, you know what I mean. He wasn't doing it for them, right? I mean, in that way. He was doing it. It's a strange thing. The craft. You honor the craft. If you honor the craft, you'll honor your audience. If you honor the craft. So what Milt was giving was his best. I'm going to give my best to this. Well, how long has Pinocchio been entertaining kids? Yeah. Right? Like, so doing that did speak to his audience and spoke to an audience past his life, probably. Oh, and he would have never known about DVDs and all the stuff that would come later. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he didn't know that all these years later, people would be talking about his work like this. Um, that he would still have fans. Maybe more yeah. fans than he had when he was alive. Right? Yeah, As more funny. people know who animates things. You know what I mean? People didn't know that stuff before in the way they do now, right? Um, and so he may have more fans. Um, he certainly has a bigger audience than he could have ever anticipated, Right. Uh, Jungle Book and all that stuff that he worked on um, and Pinocchio he was just he was he was just honoring the craft and doing the craft um, it reminds me of um, the Shakers you know the Shakers yeah and Shaker Furniture like yeah but you like, want to set that up for folks that don't yeah so Shakers are like a religious sect um, if you've heard of Quakers I, I think they're similar to Quakers and Shakers um, are known for how they, um, in fact, I think Ken Burns did a documentary about the Shakers, I think. And they're known for their furniture, which is beautiful furniture. Very simple. They're known for simple, elegant, beautiful craftsmanship. For them, 
they honor God by doing the best work, by trying to be perfect. Um, that's it's a it's a for them it's all it's a religious thing to do work at that level, to honor God by being perfect or trying to be or aspiring to be, and so that their 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 uh, their furniture is a, is a reflection of that. Um, and shaker furniture goes for a lot of money. If you want to shake yeah. hair or something, it's like it ain't, it ain't cheap, right? Because everybody knows it's built well and, you know, uh, yeah. and all of that and all the care that went into it. And I would say that there is a secular version of that. There's a secular version of um, almost a spirituality about honoring your craft where it's something bigger than yourself. You're serving something bigger than yourself. And that's another thing I think pros do. They serve something bigger than themselves. Um, amateurs are all about themselves. Look at me. Look at me do this. Look at the way I did this. I'm showing off here. I'm showing off there. But people who are, are really good at what they do, um, I, I would say it, it's as close to there is a spiritual component, I think, to it um, because it's bigger than you. Um, the people I know who, who ha I've known who are not reaching their full potential are people who always make it about them. They always make the work about them. I wanted to see this. I wanted to do that. I, 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 I. Um, the 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 um i think about milk call's solution to the pinocchio design which was an unbelievably elegant solution right so they're trying to design pinocchio and they couldn't make him um not scary this puppet you know they couldn't they were trying to make this puppet likable and they couldn't do it like they did all these designs and, and milk call uh was like, well, why don't you just design the boy first and then turn that boy into a puppet? Because you can make the boy appealing. You can do that. So do that and then make that into a puppet. You'll be fine. Right. And that's how they did it. That's how they designed Pinocchio. You couldn't get a cuter puppet than Pinocchio. Right. Yeah. right. But it was a difficult design challenge. Um, he started at the end and worked backwards. And he worked backwards. But he was so serving, all these people do, too. It's crazy. Yeah. But he was serving something bigger than himself. He wasn't trying to, he, he looked at the problem and tried to solve the problem in and of itself. He, he wasn't trying to get his designs in or get his ideas in or make it about him. He's like, you should approach the problem this way. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I think you can look at that and say they solved that problem. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, man, it's amazing how much of this is psychological. It, it, it's like, be honest with yourself and your assessments, right? Mm -hmm. Like, be willing to walk away from things when they're no longer useful or helpful, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like a pacifier is really helpful when you're a baby. But if you still have a pacifier when you're 30, it's like, why, why are you still holding on to that? Yeah. Right. And then that last one, you've got to do it for something bigger. This is a frustration you and I have with a lot of the work we do uh, when we're not doing this, right? Where it's, it's like some people, they just want to get 
good enough at story to impress the friends at the office or get good enough at story to, you know, get a raise or whatever. It's like, don't you understand we're talking about magic? Like, don't you understand that we're talking about the storytellers are writing the code for the next generation. Like, don't you understand we're talking about uh, or as a species, how do we survive and how do we genuinely help each other? Like, and it's like, yeah, I'm not interested in that. I just want to, I just want to be able to fool most people. And it's, it's like, wow, that's same thing though. It's about you. It's like, understand that you're playing with fire. Yeah. Right. Um, and that, and you can do a lot of amazing things with fire, but you can also do destructive things with fire. Like understand that, um, you know, have some reverence in what you do with what you do. And the Quakers do that. And, but, but the funny thing, they, if you can do that with a chair, you can certainly do that with a film. And right. you can certainly do that with, with uh, think about the great chefs. If you can do that with a sandwich, you can certainly do that with a story. Yeah. You know, think about the care that other craftspeople, whether again, food, furniture, whatever you want, uh, architecture, whatever it is, think about the care they put into what, what they're putting in the world. Right. Um, so you can certainly do that with the story you're going to give, tell, later on today there's a, there's a in a lot of ways a really good example is when you talk when you talk about chefs a really good chef when they talk about food they, because food is to serve to people to give to people to right it is it is about giving of yourself and it is about serving something bigger than yourself it literally is for other people literally for other people to consume to consume yep Yep. literally is right and in fact even the best home cooks that idea that well it was made with love that's a real thing that's a yeah. real thing and you know the difference right yeah it was made with yep. love well that means it was made with a certain kind of care and it was made to serve something bigger than that person who was making that yep yeah right yep. Oh, well, it's delicious. Of course it is. Of course it is. Love is an actual ingredient. Yeah. Right? It's an actual ingredient. Um, and you can have a love of craft. And that's an, that's an actual ingredient. And it comes through. Um, it's, it's almost like, Brian, it's like, what if, what if hard wasn't bad? At some point, we, we started equating, oh, that's hard, but that's bad. Right. Like, right. Like, if you look at, like, I don't know, samurai sword, the people make samurai swords. Or like, uh, the craftsmanship, it's like, wow, that's really hard to make a chair that way. It's like, yeah, it is. Yeah. But why is that bad? Like, it's really hard for Milt to do that sequence you're talking about. It's like, well, sure, but why is that bad? Right. Right. It's like, well, it's really hard to learn how to do hands and feet. And you're like, okay. What if just psychologically, the other day, Andy and I were, uh, Andy also works here, um, but we, we were downtown and we were going to the, this thing we were going to shoot and it started just drenching on us. Like the rain was coming down like crazy. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me, man. And they're doing this whole thing because of COVID where you have to use an app and you can't just pay for the parking spots downtown, you know? Yeah. And we're like, oh, we're late for this climbing and stuff. And it was like, hold on a second. What if this was the best part of the day? What if we just decide this will be the best part of the day? It's like, yeah, we could stand outside. It's raining. We're alive. Oh, right. they start looking around. Like, it's actually really beautiful down here. I haven't been downtown in a little while. And they're like, all of a sudden, you go like, what if you just decided that hard isn't bad? Right. Like, what if you decide like, oh, it's really hard? It's like, oh, okay, right, right. And you just go like the craft side and getting better, better, better. What if you made that fun? 
Mm-hmm. You know what's awesome is I look at the hands I was doing six months ago and I look at the hands I'm doing now, I can see the difference. That's fun. Like, I, right. I'm looking, you know, you know, like, it doesn't, just when we talk about craft, I think that it's easy to go to like, well, that's going to be fucking miserable or something. It's like, why? Right. Why can't, why can't that be a fun thing to get better? Right. Right? Yeah. Or maybe it's not fun. Like <laughs> there's I, other reasons to do things. Right. That's what Frank Darbon said. Right. When somebody <laughs> said, it couldn't have been that much fun writing Shawshank Redemption. And he was like, well, there's other reasons to do things. That's real. It's not always going to be fun. And if you expect that, sorry. Right. Um, sometimes that comes later when you look at your progress. Yeah. Right. When you go, wow, look what I used to be able to do. and Look what I can do now. Wow. That's amazing. But, um, yeah, it may not be fun. It may be nothing but work for a while. Um, I was reading an interview with John Williams. There's not enough interviews with John Williams. I, I would sure like to get him on Masters of the Craft. I, I would love to talk to that guy. Um, just about his simplicity and the way he thinks. But he was, it was something I was reading. He was talking about uh, the Raiders theme, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Indiana Jones thing. And he's like, you know, it takes a long time to come up with those notes. It takes a long time to come up with something that sounds inevitable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I bet wow, it that does. That sounds inevitable. That's so good. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It sounds yeah. inevitable. That's what the Frazier did. You knew it was going to happen. It didn't matter. Right. It, it, it was so well done. It sounds inevitable. That's an awesome way to say that. Yeah. So you just go, well, yeah, sure, Indiana Jones has that theme. Why? Of course. Like, yeah, but some guy sat at a piano for hours right, right, <laughs> trying to figure out what that should be. You know? He did the same thing with Star Wars. He did the same and, thing and, with Superman. And John Williams is a good example, too, because it's it's about the difference between – here's the last – how about this is the last one? They're training an amateur to professionals. Professionals can do it over and over again. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. That's I think the reason why we first met was because I would do like a campaign. It would be great. And then the next one would be like, ah, like next three for me. And then I have another one that was just luck and gut and all that stuff. And then it was like, it was like, Brian, I got to figure it's consistency. Like, how do you stop running off of luck and happenstance and be able to consistently, you know, maybe they're not all home runs, but it's all, you're always going to get, you know, on base. Like, you know, for a fact, it's going to work. Right. Sometimes they come together and there's something extra that, you know, but you know, it's like that consistency. Yeah. That's the mark of, you know, a guy like John Williams, obviously. Right. I mean, my God, can you think of a more consistent <laughs> no. person? No. You know, well, the, the other thing too is, yeah, sometimes things just gel and it's like, whoa, why is that? But almost always, all that really means is, everything is pointing in the same direction, right? When it doesn't work, there's a shot in there that shouldn't be there because somebody loved it. There's a thing in there, right? All those things chip away at the integrity, but when you can get rid of all that stuff. Yep. Right. We did a piece like that. We sat down, you, me and Andy and worked this piece out. And I was like, get rid of this close up, get rid of it, get rid of it. And it hung on and it hung on and hung on. And as soon as we took it out, the whole piece got better. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The whole piece got better. And it's like, because it didn't belong and people get attached to things and they think it's helping and it isn't helping. And I would say that 
the the it's almost like you have to clear the way for the magic to happen. Just get mm-hmm. all the obstacles out of the way, and then the magic will happen. But it doesn't happen. The more obstacles you put in the way, the less opportunity there is for that magic to occur. Mm. Right? You just the have more to obstacles the way, less opportunity for magic. Yep. Right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You're sort of in charge of it. Um, and your ability to know when you're getting in the way, when something is a preference versus the right tool for the job. Um, oh, I like using this kind of drone shot. Is that helpful here? Right. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. but I like do, it. Do we need it? Yeah. Yeah. Do we need it? No, but I like it. Well, okay. You can. I mean, you remember can, the difference between want and need. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, do you want a Rolls Royce or do you need one? Right. Like, there's a difference, right? Right. It's like, you need to eat. Right. <laughs> right. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, but a lot of times it's preferences or whatever. But, um, yeah, but man, so much of this, it sounds like, Brian, is just the ability to be really honest with yourself mm-hmm. and just say, I know that you spent three days on that shot, but do you need it? And the greats one would, the greats would go cut it. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it is about uh, being honest with yourself and about where you are in your development. And if you're not where you want to be, um, knowing that's important, right? Well, this is where I'm going. And the truth of the matter is, I don't think you ever get there. You never get to that place. That that Forget about that, you know? Um, everybody I know who's good is just trying to get better all the time. That's how they got good. Um, and sometimes to the point where you're like, you can relax, you're good at this. And they still, they can't relax. The The thing that got them there is this never being satisfied with where they are. Um, and so aiming for that Picasso print they have on the wall, like I gotta get there, I gotta get there, I gotta get there. Um, that, the, aiming at something, having a North Star, and that North Star being, I think, surrendering to the craft. For me personally, like, um, I think sometimes when I'm working with people, they 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 read my actions um, in a way that, oh, if they were behaving that way, it would mean this, so it must mean that for me. So it's like, if I object to something or doesn't, it's like, oh, it's ego. It's like, no, my ego is not caught up in getting my idea in or anything like that. My ego comes into play. Um, like if I'm going, I'm really proud of X or proud of Y. What I'm proud of is how I got out of the way. That's what I'm proud of. Like, and somebody's like, well, I don't know about this. I'm like, I got out of the way. That's what that thing wanted to be. I didn't do that. I, I surrendered totally to what it wanted to be um that's where i get uh that's where my ego comes in how well i do that um because that always makes the work better yeah but the work is the outside is the surface that's the art on the outside the art on the inside for me is all about surrendering to this thing that's bigger than you um for me it's the craft for me it's the audience i'm communicating with um 
it, it's serving that food up with love, right? I got, I have to serve that food up with love. I have to give something of myself to the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people aren't willing to give of themselves in that way. Um, you know, they're making a meal for themselves. And if other people want to eat it, that's fine. Right. Yeah. I'm making a meal for other people. Yeah. I'm trying to, you know, um, because it's not about me. Um, and I think that amateurs think it's about them. That's a great place to end it. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks. This program is produced in Seattle, Washington by Belief Agency. 